Well, I feel like I've already gotten my Father's Day gift. Yesterday, my wife and her side of the family and me, we got to go to the Giants game yesterday, which was a blast outside of them losing. Um, but during the Giants game, something happened that was just, you know, there's these moments with your kids that you, you just like take that mental snapshot and you don't want to forget. Uh, and uh, the Giants were down and my son's really distraught about it. Uh, Ryder, he's seven, but he's like super athletic, super sports oriented, hates to lose. Uh, and the only Giants uh, player he knows by name is uh, Buster Posey right? Uh, and so he's asking me constantly, when does Buster uh, Posey getting up? And we're down, and there's a man on. I said, Buster Posey's getting up. He's getting so excited. And as Buster walks up to the plate, I call him first name basis because we're close, me and Buster. Uh, but as he gets up to the plate, you see Ryder do this. <laughs> and he prays that Buster Posey would hit a home run. <laughs> First pitch out, I think it was the first pitch, but all of a sudden he swings, and no lie, a home run right after that, and you just should have saw my boy's face. He was like, yeah, I mean like this the whole time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, and I just, I couldn't, I didn't even watch the ball go over the fence. I just uh, stared at my son just going, I want to take that in, and that joy and that excitement and how much fun. And I just love it. I think God does that, by the way, for our kids. And point those things out if you're a dad. It takes those little things to confirm his presence and that he's there. And uh, you're going, well, was it an answer to prayer? Was it? I don't know. I'm not going to argue with that. But all I know is God showed up in a real way to my son and he was really excited about it. Uh, and it was precious. Uh, if you got your notes, once you open them up, we're in a series, Unreligious. We've been journeying through the book of Mark, uh, and we'll continue to. And I've loved it. Man, it has been so good for my soul, and I hope uh, it's been good for you. Uh, in this series, we've been asking a question uh, that is critical for us as a community if we're going to become the church that uh, I believe we long to become and God longs for us to become. It will not happen if we don't answer this question well. And so we've been asking it every week, and uh, I'm not sure what week we are. I think we're on week four uh, of unreligious, and so you might get tired of the question. But I, I hope we ask it enough that it becomes more than just a Sunday conversation. It becomes an everyday uh, um, invitation. Does what you know cause your love to grow. For those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, does what we know about Jesus, does what we know about God, does what we know about his word and his creation and the world around us, does it cause, does it compel our love, our affection to grow? 
Because Jesus said that is the central ingredient, the central idea behind why he came. It was to start a revolution like we talked about a few weeks ago, not on legalism, but on love, and one that we are fundamentally loved by the God of the universe and that he pursued us, and two, then we are then out of that relationship to love the world around us. And so we're asking this question. This morning, I want to ask a little different question that leads us into the text here, and I hope it kind of catches you maybe off guard a little bit. As I was wrestling uh, this week studying it, it certainly did me. But, but the question I want to wrestle with this morning is why Jesus doesn't work for everyone. Why Jesus doesn't work for everyone, and I think there's part of it where we go, well, wait a second, for those of us that are kind of insiders, those of us that kind of grew up in church, those of us that say we've been a part of this thing for a long time, we go, well, Jesus, isn't Jesus supposed to work for everyone? Isn't his invitation for everyone? Absolutely. But you know, and I know, that the truth is, as we look around, he doesn't end up working for everyone. Why, why is it? Why is it that Jesus doesn't work for everyone? In fact, the context, the context of our passage here, and if you want to kind of thumb your way there, uh, Mark 2 verse 18 is where we're going this morning. The context is Jesus is getting asked uh, by just some bystanders, uh, by some people that have been hanging around him, been following him, and, and they're asking him this question on fasting, uh, and what you've noticed and what we've noticed over the last few weeks is that Jesus, being distinctly unreligious, is hitting and knocking heads with the religious community, with the religious leaders. And so they're asking a question of, hey, Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting the way the way the John's disciples are and the way the Pharisees are? Why are you doing things so different? That's the question. Well, why, why, are you, uh, why are you an exception to the rule? And, and you got to understand the context of the day there is uh, there is only one mandatory fast where you'd abstain from food in the, for the nation of Israel. That's on the Day of Atonement. There's about four other that they instituted uh, as a nation when God did major deliverance uh, for them, and they would fast on about four other major days. But there's only one commanded day for the nation of Israel to fast, and yet Pharisees, trying to be really pious uh, and honestly trying to be really right, began to fast twice a week. Now, I, that would be really hard for me, by the way. Uh, but it, it was only from sunup to sundown, so 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and they would literally disfigure themselves. They would paint their faces white. They, would, they wouldn't wear their normal garb. They would be disheveled. So everyone knew they were fasting. And so people are walking around. They're seeing how what they have always known, what it's always looked like to be religious or to be right with God. And then now they're seeing Jesus. And they're going, wait a second, we really like what you're doing, but we're a little confused. Because over here is our picture of what it looks like to be right with God, and here's the behaviors, and here's the actions, here's how you go about doing it, and then over here is Jesus. And so they're asking this question, okay, Jesus, time out. Why? Why aren't you doing what 
everybody else is doing. And I love what Jesus does, and, and especially with people around. He answers their question directly, and then he answers the question behind their question in the text. He answers their question about why he isn't fasting, and he answers it very directly, and then he answers the question behind the question and the question behind the question is, is simply this. Why is it that Jesus is at odds with the religious leaders, with the people who seem to be or we would think we're right with God? Why isn't Jesus literally working for them? You ready? Get your Bibles open. Let's dive into the text and let's look at this. Verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, and here's his direct answer, how can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have them with them, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and on that day they'll fast. Jesus is saying, guess what? It's not that fasting is the problem. He's not anti-fasting. In fact, he says there are times and there are places to fast, but when you're in the presence of the bridegroom, it is not the time nor the place to fast. Now, in ancient Israel, the weddings happened this way. They were the biggest celebration. In fact, if you were extremely poor, it might be one of the happiest uh, weeks of your life because you're invited to the town's wedding and you partied for a week. It would be completely inappropriate to show up to the party and go, no, I'm good. I'm not going to eat. It's not me. And, and here's what Jesus is saying. And in the Old Testament, God used this picture over and over and over again that Israel, his nation, was his bride and that he was their groom, and that he was wooing them, and they kept wandering away to other women, basically. And he says, I'll woo you back. And now Jesus says, I, I just want to let you know, I'm here. I've shown up. The reason they're not fasting is it, it would be completely inappropriate to fast because the one for whom the party is thrown is in your presence. Jesus. God. Yahweh. See, and this is one of those things, too, I just think is, it, God says that I think this is central to the Christian life, that, that it's about celebrating and a celebration. He says, guess what, man? He uses pictures of parties and pictures of banquets and pictures uh, of the wedding and all these sort of things. Letting you know, man, you need to enjoy. You need to celebrate you're in relationship with the God of the universe. It is one of the greatest celebrations of life. How about you? And he goes on now to answer their question, because that wasn't really their question. Their question wasn't, why don't you fast? The question was, why are you at odds with the religious? Everyone we know to be, quote-unquote, right with God. Why aren't you working for them? Why don't you work for everyone? Because our definition of what is right, you're blowing it out of the water. What's going on there? He answers it. Verse 21. No one sues, sues? Hmm. sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskin. If he does, the wine will burst, the skins, uh, and both the wine and the skins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskin. 
And, and here's what I love. It's so simple, so clear. We don't have to do extensive research and study to figure out what Jesus is talking about. You got a old clothes, and even today we, we'd have some of that, and you got a piece of unshrunk cloth. You put it on there, and then you wash it. The unshrunk cloth's going to shrink, and it's going to pull away from the old cloth, right? And, and in that day, the way they did wine, they don't, didn't have these nifty bottles that you could reuse. They had skin. In fact, it was goat skin, and they would pour it in there, and as the fermenting process happened and the gases released, a new skin would expand, old skin being brittle, it would burst. And here's what Jesus is saying when he answers the question, here's why it is, he answers why Jesus doesn't work for everyone. And it's this, is that Jesus is here to do and to set up something fundamentally new. Absolutely new. New. Now, I remember the day I became a father for the very first time. Three kids, oldest nine. I remember when my wife told me, oh my goodness, she took me out. I didn't know we were planning on having kids, to be honest. That was new to me. I, I know how it works, so you don't have to explain that, but, <laughs> but I had no clue. And she takes me out to a nice restaurant, and the, that day we couldn't afford nice restaurants, so I was like, oh, I don't want to pay for this. <laughs> and then she hands me a card, and inside the card, I open it up, it's got the test. Now, I'm germaphobic. <laughs> I'm like, did you pee on this? You know, I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I realize, I'm a dad. <laughs> now, here's what I thought in that moment, besides overwhelmed and my first few thoughts were, how am I going to provide? I was so overwhelmed. I, I don't even have a job yet. I was just getting out of school. I'm like, oh my goodness. I, all those uh, flood of emotions. And I tried to like go, yay, you know. The <laughs> inside I'm going, oh. <laughs> nine months previous, uh, you know, that nine months until Ella was born, the way I thought about her I mean, into our family, was that we were adding a child. That was simple addition. That was just, we're going to take uh, this new life, and she's adding to Jenny and I and our current relationship and what we have. It is just adding to our family, and it was just an addition issue. What I found out the moment she was born was that was completely wrong. Just got to let you know, if you don't have kids, it's completely wrong. Because it wasn't an addition, it was a whole new world. We stepped into a new reality, unlike we ever knew before. We moved from being a couple to being a family. And I experienced new emotions I've never experienced before. I didn't know I could love a little human being so much and all of a sudden, I took on a new name. No longer was I husband. I was dad. Stepped into this new reality. And see, this is the problem. And this is why Jesus doesn't work for everyone. Because we can often view Jesus just simply as an attachment or an addition to our old life as if he's going to come in and be a part of our life. And some of you have done that and it's not working. And you're frustrated 
And you're stuck in a cycle of figuring out, like, I know, I hear he's supposed to work, but he is simply an addition or an attachment to you. And it does not work that way. He is bringing, this is why, he is bringing something fundamentally new, and you're stepping into new life. He doesn't want to come and just adjust your old life. He doesn't want to come and just make some modifications to where you are and what you've been. He has come, he says, to bring new life, new wine, new patch, new. The principle underneath this passage is, is a general principle. Until you let go of the old, new won't make things better. Think about it. Until you let go of the old, and by the way, the transition, the transition from being just a couple to being a family, there was a process of mourning, the loss of what we had, of just being able to go out on dates in the one-on-one time. And there is a process of letting go of that to enter the new. See, uh, let me just apply it in the practical term, uh, life, and then we'll apply it, uh, get back to what Jesus was saying. Some of, because this is where I think some of us get stuck. Because we think new fixes everything, but until you let go of the old, new won't necessarily make things better. That's why when some of you moved away, started, had a new start, moved to a new college, saw this, and it, it just didn't work out the way you wanted, you know Why? Because you brought your old life, you brought your old patterns, your old thinking, your old beliefs, and all those things with you into that new environment. See, some of us are looking for some things to fix, but we're not letting go of the old life. I mean, just think about this. For some, you're, you're in a dating relationship. You might even be living together, and you go, well, how do we fix it? Well, let's just get married. And it doesn't, it, yeah, yeah, you stepped into a brand new reality, but you brought all of your old habits, all your old patterns, all those things back into that new reality. Maybe some of you are having a marriage issue, and maybe this has happened to you. You're in the middle, and you're, fric- you're having friction and all this kind of stuff, and so you, what will fix it? You know what will fix it? A baby! No! No. See, because fundamentally, you didn't let go of the old to process to the new. Until you let go of the old, new won't make things better. And that's where some in this room are frustrated with Jesus, and that's where some, uh, the reason Jesus isn't working. Well, let me, let's look at what's so new about Jesus. He said, I have new wine, and think about this. It, there's an expansive nature to what Jesus is doing. Well, what's so new compared to the religious leaders of what, his day? Well, the old had a traditions that bind. The new had truths that freeze. The old was rituals, to-do list, guilt trip, condemnation, have to do all these things, go above and beyond. And the new, what Jesus brings, a truth that frees. Remember this? He said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Yeah. What is the truth that sets you free? It's fundamentally what we call the gospel. The gospel is simply this. I cannot save myself. I can't. When you come to that confession, you're at the first step of entering the reality of truth that sets you free. 
where it says the wages of sin is death. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. I'm stuck. I can't get out. I need someone to take my place. Jesus came to take your place. That's Romans 5, 8, right? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, this is truth that frees when you finally admit, I can't, but he already did. And then it was, say, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, he, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, truth that frees is, is fundamentally not stepping into traditions of trying to fix and figure out. It's getting to the place where you go, I can't, but you already did. It is found in the gospel alone. The old way was an exclusive club. You look down on those who are not like you. You have to get right before you can get in. It's generally an us for and no more. You don't have a care or concern for those outside as long as you're okay. This exclusive club with Jesus and the new, it's an inclusive invitation. It's for everyone. It's a come as you are, irregardless of your past, irregardless of your present circumstances. Come as you are. The invitation is inclusive. It is for you and for all people. It is exclusive in the person of Jesus, but it is inclusive for every person on the planet. In the old, it was a God to appease the new is a God who pursues you. In the old, God to appease, he's against you, he's angry at you, he's, somehow you have to fi- figure out how you have to measure up. In the new, God pursues you, even when you don't like you, he pursues and loves you. He delights in you, he is searching for you. You are valuable to him, and so he is pursuing you in the old you had to earn it you had to work your way to god do good and and you might be blessed in the new enjoy jesus did the work finished when he said it on the cross it is finished and so it is in a relationship to enjoy See, there's a massive difference. Even though we can be doing the same thing, there is a massive difference. We do not do good to be blessed. We are blessed, and so we do good. And the old is a religion to God. And in the new, it's a relationship with God. You can sum up what's new about Jesus. Jesus came to replace a religion to God and restore a relationship with God with God. You see why when Jesus answers the question about fasting, and he he begins to answer the question behind the question, that he just says, I just want to let you know that the old way is incompatible with the new way because it is fundamentally, quantitatively, completely different. They're at polar opposites. And if you're over here and you just simply try to add a little bit of Jesus, I'm just, I'm sorry, it just won't work until you let go of the old. New won't necessarily make things better. Well, that's what's so new about Jesus. We, we said that Jesus invites you into a new life. What's so new 
about you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that you are a new creation. Just sit back for a second and let me just read this over you. This is what's true about you when you step into a relationship with Jesus. Not because you did anything, but this is what's already true, inherently true about you. You are a new creation. You are a joint heir with Christ. Romans 8, 16. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, of daughtership. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. You are an heir with Christ. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. Romans 8, 37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither present nor future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You don't start from a position of trying to somehow be a conqueror. You already are a conqueror because Christ has defeated defeated and stands in victory. You're seated with Christ at the right hand of God, Ephesians 2, 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You didn't earn it but you are presently seated with him at the right hand of God. You are completely forgiven. Colossians 1.13 For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, being bought back from where we were at and brought into a new relationship with him, the forgiveness of sin. You are filled with the fullness of God. Ephesians 5.17 And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You are currently sealed by the Spirit of God, Ephesians 1.13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until redemption of those who are, who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You are clothed currently in his righteousness. Isaiah 61.10, I delight greatly in the Lord my soul and my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Your heavenly Father delights in you. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He rejoices over you with singing. You have full and unrestricted access to God. Ephesians 3.11, this was according to the eternal purpose that God has realized in Christ Jesus the Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Those are what's new about you. And by the way, the list goes on and on and on. 
Take, for example, you can just do the first three chapters in the book of Ephesians, and you just go through that in this week, and you just list all the things that are currently true about you. Do it again in Colossians. You can do it in Romans. Paul starts off all of his letters with what's true theologically about you in Christ. Now, the problem is, why don't I feel so new? If that's, if that's true, Ingram, come on now. Why don't I feel so new? What's the issue? There's a couple that adopted a, a child from a, oh, now I just went, went blank, um, from a foster home. This is a foster child here in the States. Uh, and, and as they adopted this, uh, this child, it became apparent uh, to the parents that the living environment that this child was in was one in which the way they punished uh, this, this girl was on the weekends, they would keep all food and water from her and lock her in her room. Now, now, kids being really resilient and smart, this young girl figured out that for her to survive the weekend, she needed to stash during the week. And so she, during the week, would gather and hide food in her room everywhere so that during the weekend, while she was locked in her room, she would have what she needed to survive the weekend. Now, she got adopted into a brand new family. You know what she did in that new family? She hid food. She had a new last name. She had a new home. She had a new room, and yet she was still hiding food. Because what we have is we bring that old into our new, don't we? Now, do you think, do you think that her foster parents were angry at her for hiding food? No. No. Did it break their heart, the past that she had, that she would do that? Absolutely. Do they want her to learn over and over her new identity isn't back there, but is right here? Absolutely. And some of us are bringing that old into the new, and we feel like God's down on us. And he's not. He just hurts his heart. He just longs for you. He longs for you to live out the reality of who you really are. Because this is already presently true of you. Stop hiding food. Not to earn it, but it's just not true of who you are. This is what's that was that's true. That's the truth about you. That's what's new about you. Would you do with me this week maybe this new confession? New confession goes something like this. I am a new creation. And I am in process of learning how to live that out. Would you say that with me? Would you just, I am a new creation. And I am in process of learning how to live that out. 
I know it's not all catchy and all that kind of stuff, and it's not even very memorable. I'm sorry. But I, here's my, here, would you say that, and would you remind you, you see the homework is to take time this week, look up the different passages about what's true of you, and just meditate on that. And just, I would encourage you, three times a day, morning, lunch, and dinner, just, just repeat that. I am a new creation, and I am in process of learning how to live that out. And you'd begin to step into the new life that's already true of you. You're not earning it. Christ already did it. Maybe you're here uh, and you resonate with the reality that you attach or have Jesus as an addition to your life. And, and, and I just be honest, it just doesn't work, and you know it doesn't work. And the invitation, the invitation to you is simply to go, Jesus, have my life. I want to step in to a new life with you. And for some, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You might even be religious and go to church, but you may know a lot about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. And the invitation, remember the gospel we shared earlier, I can't save myself. Jesus came to save me. He already did the work. Romans 10, 9, if I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord, that he's master, that he's everything, and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that he is who he says he is, and he did what he said he did, you will be saved. And the invitation to you is to step into a relationship with the God of the universe. And it's simply a conversation between you and him where you go, Jesus, help I want to have new life. I believe you did for me what I could not. Will you forgive me and come into my life and make me new? And the promise is he will. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you loved us. Thank you that you pursue us. Thank you that you have done something completely new in us and around us. God, may we be a church that lives in your grace, that rests in your love, that embraces what's already true about us. And Father, I pray for the person that's been around and just used you as an addition, God. Would you give them the courage to surrender their life to you, all of it. And I pray for the person that doesn't know you, that wants to start a relationship with you. Would you give them the courage to give their life to you, their old life to you, that you might give them a brand new one in return. In Jesus' name, amen.